Hey, how you doing? It's Clayton here from howtodrawcomics.net and welcome to today's episode of the HTDC podcast. Today I'm here with Rick Bulow and Ed Foychuk, my trusty co-hosts for the show. How are you guys doing today? I'm doing great, man. Awesome. I'm doing, I'm doing good. I just woke up, so... <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Uh, I don't know why that would have been, Rick, but uh, I hope you're okay and that you don't pass out uh, during the course oh, of no, this it's, episode. It, it's, it's in the morning here. Right. Oh, perfect. Still waking up. Um, okay, so today's topic isn't really anything in particular, but it's kind of everything at the same time because we are doing another Q&A session where we have got questions straight from the HTDC community so that we can answer them and hopefully shed some light on those topics as best we can. So uh, shall we just jump straight into it, Ed? You can do the honors of yeah. uh, reading out the questions if you'd like. Yeah, sounds good. Last time we had a, a, a Q&A thread in our How to Draw Comics uh, Facebook group, right? And we had tons of responses there. Oh, yeah. Uh, we got to most of them, but not all of them, right? And so some of them were carried over. And then just today, you posted up another one, and boom, you know, we've got a bunch of questions in there and stuff. So let's totally. roll with it. This is, this is perfect. Well, yeah, I mean, we were, okay, only, gonna... we were only really looking for one topic, but it just turns out that we got so <laughs> yeah. much feedback, you know? How could we not, how could we resist? Everybody's <laughs> eager. Yeah, exactly. everybody's eager. All right, let's Okay, I'm going to go with the first one here. This is from Melissa Riviera. How do you get your comic published? Very good question. All right, who would like to tackle that one first? I think that's, <laughs> one, uh, that's one of your tools because you're the ones that's, that's done it. Totally. Yeah, I'm going to, I'll take that one a little bit. Uh, I think published is almost an outdated term nowadays. Do you know what I mean? Published means printed and distributed, put out there, right? And in this day and age, there are lots of different ways to get something published. Now, very specifically, she says your comic mean, I'm going to guess she's meaning her IP, like her intellectual property, right? And if it's an intellectual, if it's yours and you want to retain uh, retain ownership of that property, then you've got a, a few channels. You could pitch it to Image, right? Um, yeah. They may or may not take it. They've got their guidelines up on their website for uh, how how to you know how to do the pitch and everything, right? Um, they're pretty good. You know, they'll get back to you. They they maybe won't get back to you with tons of detail, but either way, they'll say, hey, this is really not what we're looking for uh, in our stable of content right now, but they will get back to you, right? Totally. Um, you can also publish it, uh, for example, in Comixology or different online ones. Some of them have print-on-demand, right? Mm. And, um, and those so ones are great, great actually, because, uh, just, sorry for getting in there, Ed, but I think no, it, cool. it does deserve a little bit um, of a light to be shone on it because when you're talking about platforms like Comixology and even the HTDC comic, uh, comic book store, um, the cool thing about those platforms is that you don't have any upfront costs that you have to worry about when it comes to actually publishing the book on your own uh, because you're not yeah. paying for printing costs or anything like that. You can literally just upload the digital PDF file of your comic book and bring in those sales. I guess the sales part of it is what's most difficult about that particular route, though. Right. You know, like... Um when we're talking about publishing, you know, it's it's often a numbers game. And then it comes into profits and stuff, right? So if we're sending it out to Image, I remember just reading um, 
a post by a buddy about, you know, he sold it into his own book independently and then sold it through image. And I think he sold, I'm just going to take the number of 10,000 copies uh, through image. And he actually made more in the pocket by sell, selling it, like selling a thousand or so copies independent, like independently. Right. So, wow. you know, um, some of those just, uh, bigger names will get you bigger reach, but you can look at it as a publishing yourself, quote unquote, with partnerships like Comixology, Gumroad, or, um, uh, you know, how to draw comics as well. We've got uh, a host page there for, for a bunch of comic books and stuff, right? But there's another one, Blambot. Uh, Blambot? No. Um, Maybe Blambot's got one. They sell they sell uh, comic book fonts, if anyone's I know interested they got fonts, in that. But no, I thought they also yeah. had uh, an actual print attachment to them. Maybe I'm wrong, but it was something like that. But, you know, um, or what you can do is go to your local city or even check online. I was looking on this. Uh, this is hard because it's, it, we're, you know, the three of us are on three different continents doing this podcast, right? Um, but especially in the U.S., there's a lot of print-on-demand services. And so if you Google, you know, comic books, uh, printing and stuff like that, you can do up a batch, you know, um, and then they're yours. So and you can distribute. You can put, put them out to local comic book stores. You can sell them online. People... Uh, will buy digital, but they love hard copies, right? So um, how to get your comic published? That's the question. The answer is tons of avenues. Publish it yourself, and you'll probably make more money. Just You just got to know how to market things. That's exactly it. And you've done, have you done both, Ed? You've got the, the paperback version of your comic, and then you've got the digital version as well? Yeah, and I got to say, the paperback outsells it uh, 10 to 1. <laughs> wow. Like, that's incredible. Uh, the, the actual hard copy, uh, every time I go to Comic-Cons, bloom, I, I, I blow them out, right? Like, they, they sell quite well. Um, so, but then you've got to worry about carrying inventory. And you've got to take care of your inventory, just like any other thing. But especially with comic books, they can deteriorate if they're not stored correctly, right? And when, you're, when you've got a, a stack of hundreds of them, you know, a thousand in, in a in a, a couple boxes or something like that it's very easy for them to warp for them to get uh damaged and stuff like that so just keep that in mind if you're ever going to do your own printing that uh, storage can be an issue right yeah that's a really good point and it, i've never even heard that come up before so for someone just getting right. into yeah. publishing or something like that that's super super good to know you know the numbers come with the run right if you if if you print one comic book, it'll cost you $5 to print that book or something, right? You print 10 comic books, it drops to $4 for that for each book, right? You end up printing 1,000 comic books, and it costs you a dollar or so. Do you know what I mean? Like, and so, and if you're going to try to sell it for, like, say, 5 bucks a book and want to make any money off of it, you're going to want to do a somewhat larger run, depending on you and your confidence in sales and everything, right? But that does carry that risk. So you're going to get hung with inventory. Um, if, you know, if you've got a, a spouse, husband, wife, family, or whatever, you know, they've got to be stepping over these books for the next couple months or the, for the, that year or whatever. And if you're going to do, um, you know, it's not just issue one, there's issue two, issue three, issue four. How many books are you going to keep on hand, right? So it's, yeah. it's something to keep in mind. Exactly. And how many prints do you normally make, Ed? Uh, depends on, like, how many shows I have planned that year. 
Right. So let's say uh, I know I can confidently sell a hundred issue or like a hundred copies of each issue uh, per Comic Con, for an example, right? You know. So if I've got a couple issues, I'll bring a couple hundred copies with me to that Comic Con. Does that's that make awesome. sense? Yeah, that's great. Yeah. And how much do so you sell it, you your know, printed, but, How much uh, do you I sell, sell your my, printed versions? I sell them for five dollars. I, I try to keep it like keep it at that current, you know, whatever, depending on which country I'm in and stuff like that. But keep it around that mark. Do you know what I mean? Because I know the profit margin there and stuff like that. But also, you have to look at the local market a little bit, and that's that's one for the Comic Con podca- podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Most definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's move on to the next one, if that's okay. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, this is Eric Gamble, and he's asking about workflow ideas for practice sessions. Uh, Rick, you want to start with that one? Workflow ideas for practice sessions? Yeah, when you well, start up practicing, how, how do you go about organizing it? The first thing I do is basically just get my get my arm, arm warmed up and my wrist and all that. And that's just basic circles, nothing, mm-hmm. nothing really. Just some simple, uh, simple shapes to get a, get the whole movement of your arm and hand worked out as best possible. And then I'll go into some, some very quick uh, sketching of posture, 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 posture. You're, you're yeah. good with posture. <laughs> and then, uh, and. That's basically that's my uh, that's my warm up, and then I do some quick sketches of uh, of whatever drops to my mind, just to yep. see if I just to get the basic proportions uh, back in a uh, back in place. Because even though it's only been a day, you you, you it's a good idea to warm uh, to get that warmed up in your head as well. Mm. Sure. sure. So that's Absolutely. basically my that's basically my approach. Starts really simple, and then. One step at a time. First, simple shapes. Right. Get your get your get your body worked uh, uh, warmed up, and then get your mind worked uh, warmed up warmed up as well by doing the posture and then some simple uh, simple proportion uh, proportion sketches. Cool, cool. Clayton, yeah. you got anything else same different? What do yeah, you think? totally. Uh, I think yeah, hundred percent agree with Rick. There, you've got to warm up and loosen up because. The next day you go into drawing, it's going to be it's not going to be the way that it ended, right? By the time a day ends of drawing, you're you you're exhausted basically from all the things you've been drawing, but you're also in the rhythm of things, right? You've kind of worked out the mm-hmm. kinks and you're you're in the zone so to speak. But that's not going to be the way it is when you get out of bed the first time in the morning, especially before a coffee. So You've kind of got to get back into it, right? And I 100% agree with Rick. You know, if you're not quite there yet, you've got to start out with something simple. Even if you're just drawing circles and simple shapes, lines are a very good thing to practice because, you know, a lot of the time when it comes to comic book art, you are drawing long, lengthy lines, either for buildings or cross hatches or, you know, the outlines of your character, that kind of thing. You know, we need a steady hand yep. in order to make sure that line yep. work looks slick and smooth. So you got to you got to get into it. You got to get in back into that zone. It's like a warm up session at the gym, right? You just can't start you know lifting these giant heavy weights without first having warmed up your body a little bit in order to get it into the state that it needs to be in to be most effective. And when it comes to drawing, I mean that includes your mental state as well because a lot 
that has to do with it is your creativity. And if your imagination isn't quite, you know, the cogs aren't turning there, then you've also got to start looking at references of inspiration that you know are going to help to inspire you. So for me... For me, that looks like, um, you know, I have a giant folder full of reference material. And if I am having a creatively flat day, what I'll do is I'll look through my Mark Silvestri folder or my Michael Turner folder or my J. Scott Campbell folder. And I'll pull up a few really neat illustrations from that. Some of my favorites at times just to remember, hey, this is this is why I do comic art. Right. And this is kind of the level that I want to get to. And it, you know, it helps give me that creative boost that I'm looking for. But as far as long-term practice goes, you know, like actually what you need to do in order to get good in the long run, uh, Mm -hmm. what I would suggest is if you're just starting out, you need to really small chunk the process. In other words, don't try getting good at everything all at once because if you're spending a week on, say, anatomy, perspective, form, design, rendering, lighting, composition, everything at once, once you reach the end of that week, you would have touched on everything, but none of it would have really have sunken in, right? Because yep. your brain yeah, just yeah. didn't, it didn't have enough time to focus on any one of those things. It was constantly distracted by new stuff that you were tackling. So what you need to do is spend a week just on form. You know, really get that down. Heck, split that up into a week on spheres, a week on cylinders, and a week on cones if you have to, to really make sure that every single topic that you're studying is studied to an extremely comprehensive and detailed level because you do want that you want that additional level of engagement in order for it to really sink in so that you properly understand it because, I mean, that's all that being bad at something is, is not really properly understanding it or having the experience there, those reference experiences to turn it into muscle memory. So you've got to focus totally on... Totally agree, man. Yeah, man, exactly. And you've, you've got to focus on, on each one at once, right? This is how Todd McFarlane said that he learned. He started out by drawing a few sketches from his favorite comic books, right? And he did a few studies. Highly mm-hmm. recommend that. you got to do it if you want to draw comics because comic book art has a certain style and aesthetic to it that needs to be replicated if you want people other people to see your work as taking on that kind of look so that means you've got to study the actual style of comic book art and the subject matter that comes along with it but then he jumped into todd mcfarlane he jumped into drawing arms drawing heads drawing bodies and he'd spend a week drawing the head right and then he'd spend another week drawing the body and then he'd spend a week drawing the body and the head you know joining them together making sure that Mm -hmm. he was able to get to a point where he had the entire figure down to the page and then he'd draw it in different positions you know getting into the habit of being able to move it around on the page with motion and so yeah. it's a step-by-step process. And I think that that has another advantage. Tackling practice, your practice sessions in that way makes it less overwhelming to learn the process of what it takes to be a good comic book artist. Because at the beginning, you know nothing, right? So you don't even know where to mm-hmm. begin. But at least if you can break it down into smaller chunks and just allow yourself to really submerge yourself in that one particular topic... It's going to make it that much more manageable for you as an up-and-coming comic book artist. I agree. agree. Go ahead, Eric. Another thing that I've noticed uh, as well 
is that people when they when they're still practicing they, they are still so focused on wanting to finish their their art pieces and make it as beautiful as as ever and personally i think that's a mistake because as you say you need to you you need that muscle memory first and you don't get that if you focus too hard on getting things done from start to finish and make an actual complete drawing hmm. with with colors yep. and everything i i don't think that will help you get be, as as better and and train as much as what you said uh clayton by do hmm. by doing sketches about uh, on different things until you learn definitely going from st- yep. going from start to finish w- won't help you yeah of course it'll help you but it will take a lot longer time than if you focus your training in saying that if you do set out to draw an arm make sure you draw a complete arm you know yeah, or if you want to break down the arm you know make sure that that bicep is a complete bicep <laughs> yeah well, i think uh, one of the key factors is that uh, eric was asking about practice sessions right mm-hmm. and so when we're talking about practice we're usually you know breaking apart the larger piece in into smaller digestible chunks right and so that's what you guys have mentioned is you know this isn't about completion because yes completion has its own rewards and we we get certain things from it but this is about building up uh so that you can have a better completion at at the end of the week or end of the month or whenever it is and stuff right so totally. yeah i think you guys did good with the practice sessions um we got tons of questions here so i'm going to keep on jumping yeah okay. absolutely man okay uh <laughs> This one, I, let's see if Clayton can handle this one first. Okay. What about scheduling or planning? How do you work out? So this is uh, David uh, Shurinik. Shur- we'll go Shuranik. Um Yeah, how do you cool. plan out your, your, you know, your art schedule? And I'm not talking about, like, waking up and, you know, brushing your teeth. I'm talking mm-hmm. about, like, when you are, like, plotting out what you have to accomplish in a day or something like that, how do you do it? Totally. Well, you know, it is funny because this is one of those things that I try so hard to be good at, but I'm just constantly terrible at. Um, I literally have a post-it <laughs> note sitting on my desk right now. It says, from 5 a.m. till 12 p.m., I'm going to be working. And that, <laughs> okay. that just hasn't happened yet. Um, yeah, I got work up, out for you? <laughs> I got out of bed at 9 today. I hit the gym at 1. And when I came back from gym... I was too tired to do anything else. So it didn't work yep. out at all, right? Because, you know, from 3 p.m. till 9 p.m., I'm supposed to be working more. Um, and so, you know, and sometimes certain days will be better than others, and I will get a, a crap load of work done. But more often than not, that self-discipline uh, is hasn't been there a lot for me lately. And, you know, I'm self-disciplined in the way in that I, I'm fairly predictable. You know, I get up every day, I do the same thing, or at least to attempt to do the same things, and I try to make a certain amount of progress. The problem is, is that many of those habits just aren't enough. In other words, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm tapping out too early habitually when I should keep on going. And that just takes some, you know, mental stamina in order to keep yourself moving forward so that you can meet those deadlines. And, you know, on my, if you look at my calendar, it's chock-a-block. It's not that I'm not scheduling. I've got everything mm-hmm. scheduled out. The problem is I'm not keeping up with it. Maybe Here's it's because... Here's one suggestion that I yeah, have for you, man. Totally, totally. When we talk about scheduling and we talk about, you know, you said you've got it all blocked out and everything like that, and it's there, but you're not meeting those those deadlines, right? 
Yeah. Where's your penalty? Because totally. what happens, you know, when we have penalties for not meeting it, we stay up to 2 a.m. to get it done, mm-hmm. right? Like when you have that, that deadline and that deadline actually means something other than just being on, uh, you know, your little scheduler or whatever, right? I think a penalty, like, you know, if we're in the office and we don't get the job done in time, the boss says, you don't go home until you've done it. Yeah. Right? Like, um, so being freelance, that's one of the good things and bad things is like, Oh, that's my side project and I'm working on it, but I, I didn't get into it today. And there's no penalty totally. if you didn't get into it today. Right. Absolutely. And you know, it's, it's one of these things where it's not like I'm, I'm wasting time for the rest of the day. It's just that I'm working on aspects of, you know, how to draw comics and the business that are making uh, progress in those areas, but they're kind of like they're, they're at the same time procrastination away from the actual task at hand which is, of course, my superheroine's course, which is going to be delayed. Um, but, <laughs> you know, it's... It, so what was the penalty of you delaying well, that course? Well, that's the thing, right? Like, what do you make the penalty? What what can you actually hold yourself to when the only person that you've got to answer to is you, right? You're well, the people boss. People like me, I can make fun of you a little bit if you want. Like, yeah, totally. I, can, I can help. Well, <laughs> I can help. In, in all honesty... <laughs> You guys bring up an excellent point, right? Having someone there that's going to hold you accountable is, uh, this is the reason that the podcast comes out every week without fail, because you guys mm-hmm. hold me accountable to that, right? I can yeah. guarantee you, if you guys weren't here expecting me to be here as well every week, it probably wouldn't happen as often, because yeah. you know you just got to look at the YouTube channel to see the proof and the pudding with that. Um <laughs> but but yeah, getting getting someone there who's going to hold you accountable if you are working on your own comic book project or you know you are doing your own um, if you're working on a comic book for someone else, your commissions and that kind of thing, it's a little bit easier because people are expecting it to be done on a certain time to a certain level of quality, right. and you will bust your ass to get it done if you want to be paid. But yeah, you've you've got to figure things out like. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. Do you guys have any other suggestions? Because I haven't worked it out yet. Like, yeah. honestly, I'm not... <laughs> Rick, I don't know what I could what do to punish myself. Filling and planning. <laughs> oh, shit. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, I hope you caught this. I did take the cell phone off. Sorry. That's but okay. With the lo- no problem. Luckily, it's okay. We can edit that out. Luckily, it started uh, when you were done with the, mm-hmm. with the talking. So that's a plus. Yeah. Cool. Okay, let's, let's start again. Rick, what do you do for... Again. Okay, Rick. What do you do for, about uh, scheduling and planning for you? Well, what what, uh, what I see, I, I need to add to what Clayton told me here is, uh, Clayton told us here is don't overwork yourself either, because by the sounds of what Clayton got going, he got like a million things going that he will needs to schedule. Mm-hmm. And that alone can mm-hmm. also make a mess of your schedule and stress you out and make you make it even easier for you to just go eh, in the back of your head, right? And lose that schedule sense if you if you put too much on that schedule so it looks too too hard to complete. Yeah, you're you're totally right about that because there is um you know, I, I mean, I think when it comes to comic books and stuff, it's okay because you know that the comic book is the only thing that you've got to complete, and then you can kind of go through the marketing stuff and and take care of that after oh, yeah, the fact. Sure. Um, sure, but you also you also need to take in uh, take in mind when you schedule 
what are you what are you needing to do beyond just your comics you need totally. to put that in your schedule as well like what you just said you had your 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 you have your course mm. you have this podcast you have the internet <laughs> you have the facebook you yeah. have your school you yeah. have your family <laughs> you have your friends you have That's your it. girlfriend you have probably 10 other things that you haven't even yeah. mentioned that you need that you are that's running through your always space in mind as well Constantly. how are you gonna how 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 are you even able to schedule all that into as an actual schedule you're not hmm. yeah i think so it... don't put so that's an advice for new for, for new people and semi-new as well those that still working to really get in there yeah don't over push your schedule because it'll bite you in the ass i'll tell you one thing that gets me on a roll is competition and seeing ed get all of these courses out so quickly it's like <laughs> damn what are you come on clayton like just do it you know and and part of the reason is is that you know i, I have a i have a really big thing about making sure that I put my whole heart into these courses and and create like a real gem that I can give to people, something that, you know, I'm super proud of. But that what comes with that is a lot of overthinking and a lot of time spent that didn't really need to be spent. And that's the beauty of a deadline. Is it like a proper deadline? It stops you from spending more time on it than you actually need to. Um, You've got a fixed amount of time and you've got to prioritize and say, well, listen, like... Did you ever, um, did you guys ever <clears throat> read that blog about a guy who was doing comic books in Japan and stuff? And he talked about prioritization and stuff and uh-huh. how his first book took him like five years to do or something like that, right? Right. And the lessons he learned from it. I don't know if you guys read this, but basically it was a guy who was doing comic books in Japan, right? Doing a kind of a manga series, right? And his first book, you know, he added every single detail on every single panel, like wrote out you know, people are sitting in the restaurant. He wrote out every menu item, you know, he wow. did everything, right? And he's like, yeah, I only got like two books done in like the first six years or something ridiculous, you know? And he was like, and, but by the 10th year or 15th year I was doing this, I realized like, I don't need that stuff in there, right? And it's like, yes, I love it. And yes, it was kind of fun, but it actually doesn't add value to mm. to my message of the book right and so I, I would say you know clayton is rick's got it right that like you've got to kind of prioritize and say listen from from now until january 1st or december whatever the deadline mm. is i've got this amount of days mm. right and out of these days it's going to take me this much for content organization this much for mm. uh the raw creation of video this much for editing and stuff totally and you know, if I'm going to be like, oh, you know, somebody mentions, say, oh, for superheroines, you should really add, add in uh, nose rings. And you're like, yeah, nose rings. Jeez, I should add nose rings, right? But you know what? Is it going to add, like, you'd have to take away something else from that time to add yeah, the exactly. nose ring unit in or something, right? Exactly. And so I, I think it's, it, Rick's got it right that, you know, you've got to kind of pick and choose your battles and say, okay, well, where am I going to put this time? Because hmm. I've either got a fixed amount of time or I don't. And it just comes out two years from now and I say, F it, you know, like whatever. And stuff right? that, right? Like, um, yeah. so, so Ed, how do you hold yourself accountable? Because it seems like something you're very good at and I have a feeling it's because it's kind of built into you a little bit, you know, clearly you hit the gym regularly, which takes a lot of discipline. Um, and it, and you put out comic books, you're putting out courses. So, 
What kind of mindset are you in when it comes to ensuring that you're able to keep to your scheduling? And what do you do to punish yourself when you don't end up meeting those deadlines? Um, well, my punishment room is actually a secret that I don't talk about. Oh. It's that whole, you know, genre, right? No, um, you know, <laughs> I think I think it is. You know, certain people have certain innate. Uh, I don't, I don't want to say talents, but directions or inclinations or something like that. And willpower has always been my strong one. I'm not genetically gifted. I don't, I'm not the greatest artist in the world or anything like that. But if I want to get something done, I, 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 I'm not distracted. You know, I can sit down. I can churn it out. I can do it days on end. I can, you know, it just comes easy for me. So, and I don't, and I don't mean to say that as in like rubbing it in people's faces that it doesn't. I realize that everybody's got their dragon to slay. You know, my my dragon is different than your dragon, right? And so for me, um, the willpower aspect of it, like. If I, I sit down and say, okay, I want to get this course done. I got to get it done by the end of the week. Boom. I'll, wow. I'll be up until like 2 a.m. getting it done or whatever. Um, or I can't even do that because I've actually got a small apartment and I've got family members, right? So okay. what I do instead was is I record my raw uh, video, you know, so I've got no sound interference and I'm not waking anybody up. I record that during the day. Then at night, I plug myself in and I've got X amount of footage and I just start editing at night when they're sleeping and stuff right so that's that's my scheduling do you, do you get what i mean like yeah totally. I, I i not only have to schedule my time in that way but i have to schedule my noise production mm. <laughs> you know like am i waking people up or is the light too bright or anything like that right and you know a lot of family people can really relate to that i'm sure right? yeah big time man um i wish yeah. that i knew what it was exactly that allows you to be able to sit there undistracted and I know that that ability to focus is kind of like a muscle, right? The more you focus, yeah. the better you get at it. And do you think that's really all it is? Yeah, you know, you're going to think I'm really stuff, I guess. But like uh, when I was a teenager, I was living on my own and stuff. And I was, I just got into like this whole willpower kick and stuff like that. So like I would do really weird stuff. Like I would like, okay, listen, I think I'm watching too much TV. And this was me at like... 16 years old living on my own and stuff i was like i just unplugged the tv for two months or something or like or i'd be like you know girls are distracting me too much and i would just like i'm not going to date for the next couple months or something like that and i was just like from now until december nothing right you know like or like this would be even stranger like i was like you know what i want to learn chopsticks i didn't know how to use chopsticks yeah um so i i hit all my forks and I just put chopsticks out, and I, I, and now I live in Asia, so that's how that worked. Um, but you know, this was just something that even my friends at the time were like, "Man, you, you know, you've always had this ability of focus." And I, it was just something that I worked on and I honed, and and I thought it was because, and I still do, is because I don't think I'm, I'm naturally gifted in many areas. You know, we talked about going to the gym. Lots of my friends have become professional bodybuilders and stuff, and. I never could. I don't have the genetics and stuff. Uh, so many other people I see uh, in, in the art game and stuff I like get, they just pick up a pencil and then like, uh, you know, Danny Kim had come, he hung out with me last week, right? Mm. Um, he came and visited me awesome. from Korea. Yeah, it was awesome. And me and him had a couple art jam sessions and stuff, right? But the guy, man, like, uh, even in the, I've only known him for a few years and it, just in two years, I'm like, he went from okay to like, 
blockbuster. Like he's doing a mo- movie posters now and stuff like that. Like legit wow. for JJ Abrams uh, movie or whatever and stuff. And I'm like, what the freak? You know, like he's just blowing it out. And like, and I don't have that. I don't, I don't feel like I have those, um, those gifts. Right. So if I don't have those gifts, then I better work damn hard at it. Yeah, man. That's so Wait. amazing. Wait, Abe, you go to the gym? I just thought you were, I just, I just thought you were fat. Not as often as I should. Yeah, people do. You know, the reason Rick is bringing that up is because everybody, you know, when they get banned from uh, how to draw comics or something, you know, they're trolling or whatever, I invariably get some heated uh, private message or whatever insulting me in some way or another, and most of them seem to revolve around me being fat for some reason. I don't know what's going on there. What? Yeah. <laughs> It's yeah, it's kind of funny. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Whatever. Yeah, we, had to add, we had to okay. add the context. So hold on. Now I want to go on to the next question here. Yep. Because yep. this is exactly related. Mm-hmm. Shane Rivet asks. He wants guides to drawing chubby men. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that's Perfect. a good segue into that one, right? I was hoping you uh, got the segue. That's awesome. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's the one. And I, I'm good. To take this question, if yeah, it's okay, yeah, go because, ahead. Uh, I actually talk about it in my anatomy course a little bit, which is strange because I, I wasn't sure how people would receive it, you know, like because you start, you know, it's really easy to just focus on the idealized comic book body. Mm-hmm. And I, in the course, I kind of said, listen, there's we got to look at other body types here, obviously, uh, because heroes don't look like heroes unless they're standing around people. That's exactly average it. people, different types of people, and all that kind of stuff, right? So, when it comes to drawing chubby men. Uh, my advice would be, uh, look at yourself. No. Um, <laughs> sorry, I didn't even look at his avatar. No. And suddenly we just lost uh, half, uh, half of our listeners. Yeah, we lost, we lost a subscriber, yeah. Um, Thank you, Ed. No. Um, one of the things that you could look towards two things is hormonal fat deposits. Uh, for men, it becomes... It's, it's called a visceral fat often. Like, so it goes, you get the beer belly effect, right? You get the big hang. You'll find that men will still have somewhat leanish uh, arms and legs um, and even shoulders, but uh, everything from their beer belly up to the, the turkey chin and everything, that's where a lot of men store their fat. Right. Um, not all men, obviously. Like once you, when you get into like morbidly obese, it starts to store everywhere, but the whole dad bod plus type of thing men will store in their their belly especially and stuff right so that's the um there's sub q fat like subcutaneous fat that's stored underneath the skin and then there's visceral fat that's stored around the organs and stuff right and so men really seem to pack it on right there on the flip side women their hormonal fat deposits are obviously breasts and uh hips it's it's rare to see a woman with um a beer belly it can happen but that's usually a sign of uh um thyroid issues or uh even you know um diseases like liver cirrhosis and stuff i like got you'll get that on women and everything right um but uh women will carry it in their their thighs their hips and obviously the, the breasts and so when when they diet uh also just so everybody knows when you diet that's some of the last stuff that comes off too you'll get leaner in the places that you're lean already And then that, the, the stubborn fat spots, they're stubborn for a reason. They'll stay there until the bitter end. Cool. So that's my answer. Anybody else want to add to chubby men? Man, that was one <laughs> of the best answers ever to, uh, to that question. I think you, Unfortunately, I know a lot about chubby men. You're very know. thorough with that. Um, what, I, what I will add to it, though, is I think 
I was sitting here thinking about it actually when we when we got this question in, and I was like, you know what? How do you draw a chubby man? Because I don't draw them a whole lot, and I've always found them mm-hmm. like when I'm drawing. This is going to sound bad, but usually the one time where I'll draw like an overweight body will be for like some kind of creature in a comic book, right? Like yeah. usually some yeah, some yeah. kind of villain or something like that. And in that context, I feel like it's kind of, uh, you know, I never have that much trouble with it because I, I don't think I'm concerned really about how it looks. And I think it's because yeah. a lot of the anatomy um, is somewhat diluted to an extent because of the the fat deposits like you're saying it um you know you Mm -hmm. don't have the articulation of you know the arms for example where you would otherwise see you know the the deltoids and the triceps and the biceps and the forearm muscle on a ripped superhero character Uh, you Mm -hmm. wouldn't see that on you know on someone who's a little who's more overweight um it would would just kind of all all puff out right and so you know I think that's one of the reasons that I, I'm not too concerned about it for me, and I'm not sure if other people find that to be the case as well, but if you are looking to really hone your craft in terms of different body types that are out there, what you can do is sign up for a life drawing lesson because there's definitely yep. going to be a few within your city somewhere, um, and if you go to university, or a lot of the time they're going to have them there within the art course. And what's great about them is that you actually get to see what real people look like. And let me tell you, they don't all look like Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? <laughs> yeah, um, right. They, actually, they, none of them will, basically. No, they don't look like gods and goddesses like Superman and Batman no. and Wonder Woman. They actually, um, it's somewhat humbling to to actually what our, our physique is capable of visually. And so mm-hmm. what you're going to get is you're going to get old people, young people, you're going to get overweight people, super skinny people, and everything in between, which is yep. why it's such a valuable thing to do, because it gives you a certain scope of ability as far as drawing people is concerned. And when it comes to comic books, look, you're going to get a lot of idealized figures, which is important because with superhero comic books, that's kind of what you're dealing with, the idealized versions of human beings but as you said ed without the contrast of normal average looking people around them then they're just it normalizes them essentially they're just like everybody else so you can't have every single character in your book in the background and in the in the main cast to be you know a hundred percent ripped and tall and and just the the ideal of beauty and handsomeness you've got to actually have those you know, those tuned down characters so that you can keep things not only semi-realistic, but also, again, create that contrast and I, distinction. I remember and Michael Turner. Go ahead, Rick. I remember Michael Turner had that problem that he was not able to draw ordinary people. in his. Uh, at first, everything he did was those really big Hollywood-looking, handsome, handsome model-like Men like it. the mm-hmm. first uh, is the first issues of uh, of uh, of Witchblade. Uh, his characters were all big, strong, and handsome men, and and model and model-looking women. If you if you remember, totally. And, and it, I like them. I, I like those yeah, issues, Witchblade yeah. comics actually. <laughs> but it, yeah, uh, right. it was, uh, just to stress the point, it made that it didn't help me it didn't help make uh, the hero 
stand out, which was female, the female Sarah Pessini at that time, and it made sense that she perhaps shouldn't stand out as much because of the different ways of being a hero, but still, mm-hmm. as an example, I think he only started being able to when he started doing his uh, his, his first and last woman Batman run a little bit because he was forced to by drawing like Clark Kent's parents and oh, right, and right, uh, yeah. G- and Jimmy who uh, Jimmy from uh, Daily Globe Daily Planet who's a hmm. little sk- skinny guy and all that but before that it was just handsome Hollywood super uh, superstars. Yeah, that's it. And let's be clear a little bit that, uh, listen, we, we're here because we love comic books, right? But not all comic books are superhero books. No. And I, you know, I grew up on the X-Men and everything like that. But I also respect that there's, you know, comic books are just a medium of expression, right? So there's going to be The Walking Dead. There's going to be a whole lot of different uh, types. There's even like uh, rom-com books and stuff like that, right? You know, yeah. um, some of the new Archie books or Sabrina and everything. Um, and those are not going to be the superhero idealized characters and they shouldn't be, they shouldn't be in there, you know? So I think any artist, uh, if you're neglecting different body types, you know, we started talking about, you know, chubby men, but it's really about being able to draw a little old lady being able to, you know, uh, a super obese man being able to draw somebody who's a kid, you know, the different body proportions for a kid and stuff. This is all important stuff. So really guys uh we all recommend take some time and and study the different physiques and see you know see the differences note the differences totally just cool. look, okay just look, listen to, just look at the world around you right i mean when you're walking down exactly. the street when you're walking yeah. in the park you're gonna see that's what i do there. that's what i do just yeah, quickly yeah, so yeah. I, you said you're going to uh, go to classes uh clayton i i suggest just take your t- take a block of paper and go outside Take a train ride. Take a train ride if you're going somewhere, anyways, and bring your block of ta- paper and draw whoever person you see that catches your eye. Totally, hundred mm-hmm. percent. All right. Okay. So the next question here. Um, let's see. I'm going to go with Joe Tolliver's question. Building teams for producing comics for portfolio work. Uh, when is it a good thing to work as a team to finish a comic? And work in your lane. For example, if you're like the penciler, penciler, the uh, cover artist, inker, colors, writing, character design, whichever you know. And uh, when are you being taken advantage of by cheap producers? So this is basically talking about when are doing collaborations okay, and when does it cross the line to somebody using you? Right. Totally. Very very good question, actually. Rick, Rick, do you want to handle this one? Yeah, put me on the spot when I'm saying, ah, oh, that's a good idea, Ed. Um, <laughs> that's what I do. That's that's why it's so uh, fun. I, I've, I've, I've worked in teams before, but not you know, comic book based, but still art based. So I, when I've done, uh, okay. when I've done uh, uh, special banners for like uh, city, uh, city stuff and all that, it's still got to be teamwork. And... Mm-hmm. It's so easy to keep taking advantage of, and sometimes you just have to, especially when you are in this sub. Uh, uh, of me, if you, if you're not working for yourself, you're nine times out of ten. I'm sorry to say, you will feel that you might have gotten off better if you have found your own team or worked alone. That's just okay. how. Bas- that's basically 
how how it feels like it is because you will be take, taking advantage of in some way or another. Mm, but okay. your way your way to get get over it is just is 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 your willpower and your way of way of thinking thinking like okay this is just a basic job like anybody else have to do people daily in the desk jobs and all that will feels the same way that they sometimes is being taken advantage of and you just mm-hmm. gotta go with that in order to make the money right well in this case though it's not about making money this is about building his portfolio for example he just wants to this is why i'm specifically reading his his question here is because he's not talking about making money he's talking about building up a portfolio to be able to show in the future whatever so this is basically he's really talking about just getting experience but he doesn't want to be bent over as he's getting experience nobody wants that well i guess somebody but joe doesn't right so joe's saying how can i avoid it what do you think clayton yeah because people will come at you right and they'll be like hey you know what like we're not going to pay you anything but like it'll be really great for (laughs) your portfolio and your experience you'll learn so much working on on this and yeah we'll give you all the exposure and whatnot uh you know we're, we're connected we're hooked up and we'll hook you up as well if you do this work for us but that is really a red flag for me i don't even bother reading messages like that anymore because they do they do come along every once in a while, especially for artists who are just starting out. I think that these people mm-hmm. who are going to take advantage of artists see them as easy prey. And they know just the right level of quality to look for and you know the level of experience and, and the kind of artist who is willing to put their foot forward first in order to get somewhere um, and... You know, ultimately, at the end of the day, that could be a big mistake if you don't really do your research on who it is that you're doing the work with. Um, you know, working in a team of people, yep. even putting it in that way, is very interesting because it could be manipulative, right? Instead of saying, hey, why don't you do this work for me? Why don't you join the team, right? And then we can mm-hmm. do it together. And, and you're going to be doing the work. I'm going to be doing the work. It'll be great when really, at the end of the day, you're doing that work for free for their cause, right? And the, what yeah. I would say to Joe is that if you're doing this work for your portfolio, just work on your own project. I mean, that's the, the best way to be safe because unless that job is going to lead somewhere and it's going to give you more than just a, a, a few good pieces in your portfolio, it's really not a worthwhile investment. Um, and hey, if it's if it's Jim Lee telling you, hey, why don't you come on board and, and work on this project <laughs> with us? Sure, you know you jump at the chance, obviously, because it's a great opportunity. But you know, I remember um, back when I was uh, do, you know doing uh, working in video games. You know, I was doing concept art in in that capacity, and yeah. I remember there was this one dude who was very renowned within uh, within Melbourne who would basically hit up graduating art students and give them these opportunities, so to speak, to come and work at the studio. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I he had hit me up a few times, actually. I don't think if he remembered. But, man, when I said to this guy, when I called this guy out on, on what he was doing, um, he did not react very well to that. He, he sent me the nastiest email back and... Um, because what he had asked me to do was, hey, you know what? I'm going to get you to do a test first. So here's the brief. <laughs> um, do yep. the test. 
and then we can talk about the next step. But what he had been doing was a lot of his project was full of these these test pieces of work, and he would never get back to the artist after that. He would just kind of disappear and cut them off. So you've got to watch out for people like that because they are out there and they are preying on artists. And it's one of the reasons why it just totally guts me to see people on the How to Draw Comics group who are willing to just do work for a pittance, right, for for no money at all. Um, at mm-hmm. least, you know, if you're going to do anything, focus on yourself, build up your portfolio with stuff that the kind of work that you want to create because that's what you'll get hired to do if, if people are looking and don't do it for anybody else unless they're actually going to pay you to do it. That would be the, the rule of thumb that I go with. Yeah, I've been... I've been making it kind of my my secondary job to make sure that there's no will get you exposure uh, offers on <laughs> Facebook on uh, our Facebook group because I it, it seems like now luckily after 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 we 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 started looking for that and make sure it was told mm. in every comment that it's been like like an unwritten rule now that everybody helps keep up because nobody here wants to once our fellow artists in the group to get cheated of anything. So we are, so as soon as there's anything about, hey, I'm looking for an artist, one of the first comments is always, what's to pay? That's how it should <laughs> be, yeah. Um, and that's how it should um, be. I'm going to have a, I have a little bit of a different experience than on this than you guys, and totally. that's cool. That's awesome. you know? um, so... Yeah, if somebody's cold approaching you and saying, you know, hey, come come work on this for me or with me or whatever, chances are I agree with you, Clayton. They're probably scamming. You know, I, I get one of those messages per month. Yeah, um, totally. And, uh, you know, I usually just ignore them or say I'm busy at the time and stuff like that. Even if I'm not, I just don't want to get into it, right? But, uh, you know, like he lists out the pence, penciler, cover artist, inker, color, uh, writer, character design so on so on right he's listing out the roles of of comic book creation right Mm. and i've seen this done before i've i've actually what we've done before like on websites like pencil jack and what we've tried to do in the how to draw comics books or uh, group is break down those roles say okay how many people would like to do pencils on a page okay good we've got 10 how many writers we got oh we got 10 how many colors do we got oh let's just say we got 10 on each category right cool 10 people raise their hand, right, and say, I'm game, I'm in, right? Okay, we've got 10, and there's five roles. We've got 50 people who say they're down for this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, okay, well, first we need to do it in order, right? The writer's got to write. So we've got 10 writers writing out, uh, you know, three pages each or something like that, cool. maybe, or depending on how we want to break it down, right? Out of those 10 writers, only five show up. Right. And then we got to worry about the consistency. You know, is this are these five samples, separate samples? Are they five going into a continuous book that don't show consistency? Right. This is what happens when you have like uh, um, just this kind of volunteer uh, team and stuff like that is that, again, it goes back to those deadline things that we talked about earlier is that Mm -hmm. people flake, you know, and and artists are kind of flaky sometimes. Right. And so, you know, on the writer's page and in writer's pages I've seen, you got a 50% dropout rate, right? And then the 50% that do show up, uh, the gaps between them and the consistency of, of sticking to the storyline or whatever is very hit and miss, right? And then we go on to the pencilers. Well, 10 raised their hand, and you know how many will complete a page? 
let's say the pages do get posted. Let's say these writers do post up a page and stuff like that. Out of 10 people that raise their hand to do a page, I'd be surprised if two finished a page. Mm. Very true. You know, so you've got 100%. a 20% or lower turnout rate on, on the pencilers. And then, so now we went from 10, you know, 10 pages being produced or whatever, 30 pages or whatever it is. We, we cut it by the writers. Then we cut it down by the artist. The inker maybe gets one page to practice on or something like that. <laughs> and maybe by then, he, by the time it got to him, it's, it's a month later because it took a while. And he's like, oh, I got other projects on the go, right? And so, you know, like these collaborative uh, sessions are extremely hard to manage. Extremely, extremely hard. Um, so almost always I... And you know what? Um, we've got a, a fine gentleman trying to organize one, the Sovereign Project, mm -hmm. in uh, in How to Draw Comics Group and stuff like that. And I can yeah. see him struggling. And I don't know the details of it. And the reason why I don't know the details of it, because I don't want to. And that's not to say it's not a great project. I, I really wish him all the best. I, I, I love that he's doing it. Mm -hmm. But because I've tried and been involved in those so many times before, and I just know how much energy the organizer has to put it. It's like corralling cats. It's just, it's so, so hard. Right. <laughs> so what I would recommend to Joe instead is find your lane and then take samples of others already published work and work from there. Totally. So if you're a penciler, get a script from image, Marvel, uh, whoever do you know what i mean like oh yeah there's dc right I forget. <laughs> uh and oh, yeah. and do three to five pages showing versatility from action to sitting down talking scenes of normal people and stuff like that right if you're a cover artist well there you go everybody does pinups right so good luck yeah um if you're an inker you know grab pencil uh samples from a variety of artists and learn how to ink those artists. Too many people are just like, hey, I just did an outline with my markers and now I've inked a page. No, you haven't. Yes, you you put some form of ink on a page, <laughs> but you really didn't study the flow, right? So I'd say stay in your lane, get samples that lead you in that lane that are already, already a done deal because relying on other people will often let you down unless it's your even i was going to say unless it's your best buddy that you know you grew up with and you're like elementary school friends and you want to do a comic together even he's going to let you down unless you're eastman and liard or whatever they're going to let you down mm -hmm. so uh i would say stay away from it do your own thing uh and you know what if you, if you want it for your portfolio a lot of these comic companies are, are want to see their established or want to see established characters anyways. Even if it's not theirs, they want to be able to recognize that character and say, oh, you hit on model. Oh, yeah, you, you captured what that character was supposed to be about. You know, even if it's, if it's Clark Kent, like you mentioned and stuff like that, Marvel's going to look and say, that looks nothing like Clark Kent. Why did you make him blonde? Why did you <laughs> give him a mustache? Whatever, you know, like. Uh, why do you CG his mustache off? I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> you know, they're going to be critical of it and stuff like that, right? But because they know the character. So if you pick established characters, then, you know, the, the editors, uh, portfolio reviewers, all that are going to have a better handle of saying, listen, I know what he was trying to accomplish here and he did it really well or she didn't accomplish it or she did a cool twist on it that I really love and this is what we need. But if you just bring your own characters, you're running a risk. So be careful with that. Yeah, 100%. And you know what, Ed, I think you presented a really great perspective on that, that 
I know that me and Rick weren't quite clicking with, um, but that's a that's a really really good point and and valuable to have. Um, you know, Timothy Joe Himes, who is doing the Sovereign Project, that, yeah. Yeah. have a lot of admirality for that project, and I think it's it's one of the coolest things that have ever happened to the comic uh, how to draw comics community. Um, there was even a there was a page that I was supposed to do on that, and I did do the draft for it, but I had to end up dropping out because I had just too much stuff on. <laughs> And that's so look at that. That is yeah. what's going yeah. to happen. Um, yeah. And then in in those situations, which inevitably you're going to run into, you know, people where, where life just comes up for them or, you know, more um, important things end up taking priority. Well, that's the, that's the risk you run when it comes to those volunteer projects. And that is the reason yep. as, as to why there is such a large dropout rate, like Ed was saying. I mean, that's that's not crazy uh, percentages either that's like realistic if not worse so yeah yeah i was you, being generous exactly and and what you have to have in those particular projects is a very powerful leader who is incredibly inspired passionate and influential in terms of the way that things are going to be run with that project because if you don't have that charisma behind you uh no one's going to get behind you and it's super important to have that like and I'm going to add this, yeah. you need to have people that are used to deadlines Heck and yeah. most aren't, you know, like, so <laughs> Case in, in point. <laughs> in, on, on pencil Jack, we used to run uh, a deadline based challenge called pummel. And it was uh, the end of every month and stuff. And, you know, uh, we'd have anywhere from 30 to 60 competitors competing every month. And yeah, people had extreme troubles with deadlines. And these are these are good artists. Sometimes it's not even the quality of the artist. You know, it's just uh, deadlines are tough on people and stuff, right? So mm. yeah, trying to corral all those people, no way. Totally, man. Good luck. That's that's why I love what you said as well, uh, Ed, about the self-discipline stuff. Because I think honestly, even above your artistic abilities and. Um, you know how far you can you can take that what matters even more than that is just having the discipline in the first place because and, and it's it's a it's a huge commodity like I think if you can be a, a disciplined focused individual you can literally have anything you want in life like when yeah. you can do the thing that you don't want to do regardless um, mm-hmm. Because every comic book project is going to be like that. You're going to love it in the beginning. It's going to be super excited. You're going to get into <laughs> yeah. it. And then a week later, you're going to be like, you won't want to look at it anymore. And yeah, what, for sure. what is the number one um, determiner of what is going to happen to that project, whether or not it's ever going to be fully manifested in its final form? Well, that's going to be ultimately up to your level of discipline. And it's yep. dis- discipline is not a fun thing. Um, but it does get things done. And so I will say this, if you look at, you know, people are asking you for partnerships, look at what they've finished. Yeah. How many projects have they brought to completion and stuff? And that'll help you make a judgment. Right. I think that's very true. Yep. Uh, maybe one more question here. Yeah, totally. Let's go for it. Um, we've got about, Uh, um, yeah, we're about at time, but let's do one more just as a bonus. Okay, this is maybe a big one because it's been asked by about three different people in, in this thread and stuff, and it all kind of goes into the same same thing. So James Dean Anderson asked this. He goes, camera angles and lighting setups for dramatic mood and energy. Mm-hmm. For example, uh, you know, 
Art Adams and stuff um, for drama. Uh, but also, you know, Death, uh, he asked about storytelling with visuals and comics. You know, um, Jesse Switters was asking about uh, sample scripts. So a lot of these people are asking about panel flow. Basically, how do you set the scene? How do you set a page? How do you set a panel? How do you choose the lighting in the panel? How do you choose the orientation of the the characters in the panel, right? Um, how do you storyboard? That's basically the question, right? How do you storyboard and then fill in, uh, start filling in the details? And that's exactly what it is, Ed. It's... Um... It's when it comes to comic books, essentially what you're dealing with is a storyboard, a sequential flow that is logical, that tells a story. And so what that means is that there's a strong correlation between the way that movies are shot and the way that your comic book panels are going to be composed. So one thing that I like to do when it comes to figuring out what kind of moods work uh, with what kind of what what kind of compositions produce certain kind of moods and certain kind of feelings, well, what I, I'm a big movie buff, so I love looking at the ways mm-hmm. in which directors will compose a scene to tell a story within a movie. Um, and, you know, some of my favorite movies, of course, re- reside in the sci-fi realm, like Alien, which has just so much mood and creepiness in it. Um, and you realize... Yep. What an impact dramatic shadows and lighting can have on the context of your story. And that's what it's all about, giving your sequences some kind of context. That's part of what makes you a brilliant comic book artist is being able to convey that. And it's one of those higher tier battles that you have to work your way through and that you have to get good at once you've figured out all the anatomy and the perspective and all the basic fundamentals that go into constructing the drawing itself. Um, because when a comic book reader is going to read your story, there's a certain level of immersion that they're going to have. And that level of immersion is going to be determined by your effectiveness at being able to do this. Whether or not you're setting the scene for them in a way that's going to pull them into the story on an ultra-engaging level. Yep. Rick, what do you think? Anything? Are you a movie buff too, Rick? Well, I actually, I actually studied at Denmark's film and animation school uh, there in, you go. The film, in the film section. So I actually got a few amateur videos behind me. Oh, nice! And cool. uh, and and the lighting is really important, as Clayton said. So I, I won't dwell much into that part, but with the storyboard wise as well. And this is one I learned that is even more so in my eyes, important in comics than movies is like when you are having a scene when two people are talking, right? Mm-hmm. Always make sure that that person number one stays on the left uh, on the whole on the on the on the whole in the whole conversation over the whole panels instead of switching from left to right. You always have to be on the left side of things in order to not make it confusing. Right. They they do that they do that in movies as well, but not mm-hmm. as much as it is in it is in it is at is it is important <laughs> uh, as it is important in in comics yeah. right exactly. because yeah we got to watch it's easier to confuse in the, in the, in comics because you don't have their voice to help lead you you don't have the you don't have the you don't have the sound to lead you. You don't have the movements to lead you. So you need to 
lead them even more by making sure, okay, this guy is on the right for for reasons, so he's got to stay on the right. Especially if both of them are blonde or looks, let's say, Batman or Superman without their gear on and just in a civilian. They look pretty much alike, and if you switch them around constantly, it can get confusing for the for the reader, right? Totally. Definitely. Absolutely. Definitely. You know, when you say voice and was, and stuff and... What? Yep. Go, well, go, Rick. Another thing that uh, I want to say as well: go and uh, go and Google, go and Google movie movie importance. Like, go and go and actually Google movie uh, movie based uh, tutorials and and uh, guides and courses about proper lighting in movies because you can bring that, you can bring those things easily into comics as well, and you can learn a, learn a lot from from going studying movie stuff like that like uh, oh yeah like uh, the lighting and the and the proper camera movement and all that you can take that with you in in comics on such a level that that it just makes the comic better because comics are basic are basically still pictures of what could be a movie animation after all we talked about this before very much so let's see it see it as see it as a movie so you can yeah. so don't just go looking for for comic tutorials about this subject. Go look for movie tutorials as well. Yeah, big time. And Ed, what were you going to say? Um, you know, I think I'm going to add to what you guys are saying here. That uh, you know, you're talking about movies and study movies, and uh, we can even look at our, some of our comic book masters or whatever and study them as well. But I'm going to explain how I would recommend studying them. Um, what you could do is kind of, I don't know if anybody's seen me do this with early anatomy studies that I had of like some of my 90s idols and stuff, but I basically blocked it out. Like I took their figure work and then I dissected it, right? I said, okay, well, how many heads high does Jim Lee usually draw? Where's his crotch line? You know, and I broke it down, right? And so when we tell people to just study a panel, you know, study a frame of a, of, of a movie or something like that, how do they study? What I would recommend is... You know, take a screenshot of, of that. Actually, you know what I would recommend is, like, go through um, one scene of a movie. Whether, so in a comic book, let's say three to five pages, depending on, it, let's say it stays in one location or something like that. And the same thing with a movie. You know, take one basic scene, you know, one location set or whatever. Uh, maybe it's a 30-second blip or one minute or something like that. Screenshot it out, right? pull them into Photoshop or pull it, print them out or whatever, and then start blocking it out and saying, okay, well, character A, you know, I'll block out with a red marker, character B with a green marker or something like that. And I kind of, you know, I blob them in there and I say, okay, well, why did the director choose this? What's happening in this first shot? Why did he choose this wide angle shot? Okay, he's, he's establishing the scene, right? He's establishing the background stuff. Characters are barely visible. He's got the shot of Gotham or something in the back, you know, as a whole scene, right? Uh, shot number two, he brings the camera into focus, you know, narrower in, shows full body. Why did he do this? Well, let's take a look. Why would he do this? You know, what's what's being accomplished in this? We're getting to know the characters better, you know, like, and so I would go through each panel, whether it's in a comic book or whether it's in a movie, and start to break it down just as, uh, for example, um, just the the structure of the panel you know the the form the layout of the panel right so mm. okay once i've done all that 
you know, I go through, let's say, and this can take a while. You know, we talk about one minute in a, in a TV show or movie. I could have a good 20 to 30 panels that are, in my mind, different enough to, to analyze or something, right? Totally. And then, and then so I've, I've, I've blocked it all in looking at uh, setting, you know, at the uh, scene setting and stuff. I like get the, the character orientation, that kind of stuff, right? Just a rough block. Then I can go in and say, okay, you know, what was the lighting scheme that he took? you know, camera angle they took, you know, like I'll break it and I'll go back and so I'll have notes off to the side and say, okay, first series of notes is going to be about um, uh, just scene layout and care. And then second one might be character positioning. Third one is camera positioning. Fourth one is lighting, you know, lighting choices and stuff. Why did he use a rim light here? Why is he using bounce? You know, especially when they come to... uh, big production movies they're not taking lighting by chance you know they're not like hey let's go outside the sun's good you know no <laughs> totally. they're, they're you know they're making very very conscious choices in all of these and stuff like that right so by the time i'm done a page like this i'll have a series of four to five bunches of notes on each panel with like scribbles and markers going back and forth trying to find out what they did and why they did it and then what I might do is try to recreate it. So I might start to say, okay, well, I know what they did here. And you know what I've even done at this point is I've taken just looking at that and tried to write out a script myself, a sample script of what I thought they were trying to accomplish. Right. So I'll write out a sample script, panel, page one, panel one, uh, Mm -hmm. Captain America walking into um, whatever and stuff. Right. You know, so then I'll write out a sample script to try to understand, like in my own mind, to, to try to understand what they were trying to do, how I, how I would imagine their script would have read. And then I'll put my notes aside, take that script and try to draw it. Awesome. I'll start by roughing it out, you know, b- blocking it out, building it up, looking at the camera choices and stuff like that. And obviously, obviously, I'm not going to get far away from my original reference that uh, the director or original artist uh, put down. But boy, uh, I, I'm going to, if, if, if somebody really wants to try this method, I'm going to tell you it's going to take you a long time. Start with one page. Mm. Take I, a page by whatever artist you want, like Jim Lee, uh, McFarlane, whoever's your idol and stuff. Grab one page that you think you know carries a bit of a story to it and stuff like that and break it down as I just said. And I promise you, <clears throat> five hours later, you're going to go... Don't die. Wow. <laughs> I fully... Un- if you didn't die, you're going to say, I learned a shit ton from that amount of study. Uh, I, I think I meant you that you were coughing. But, <laughs> totally. yeah, but I, that actually that actually gave me an idea. Some people might remember I did Challenge of the Month for, uh, some time ago. Mm. Okay. Yeah, that, could yeah, be yeah. A, that could be a fun challenge to put in because I got a music video on YouTube. I helped uh, both direct and uh, film that I, that I could put up as part of the challenge and see how people would break that down into a comic. Sure, sure, sure. Totally, totally. Um, I'll actually add one more small thing to that, and that is a recommendation on a book that I've got sitting on my bookshelf right now, actually, which is called Framed Ink. And if you look it up on Amazon, yeah. uh, you can get it for yeah. a decent price. Um, I've also got Framed Perspective by the same author. Author's name escapes okay. me right now, but um, Framed Ink is excellent because it 
it's kind of movies and comic books at the same time. Um, and it talks exactly about what it is we're touching on here, which is setting up your scenes in a way that tells the story in a way that makes sense um, and how to use lighting and contrast to lead the eye around that sequence. So very cool book. Definitely check it out. It'll help you out big time with the way in which you compose your scenes. Um, and not so much your panel layout necessarily, but definitely the scenes within those panels. So highly recommend it. Shall we wrap cool. it up there, my uh, uh, just, wonderful just co-hosts? Quick <laughs> just a quick one. I did you a favor and just Googled the name. It, just to give him proper credit, his name is Marcus Macho Mestre. There you go. There okay. you go. Cool. <laughs> Don't worry, Rick. I'm not going to make you spell that out. <laughs> um, but awesome. So is there any announcements uh, that any of us would like to make before we end the show today, Ed? <laughs> oh. uh, it was my birthday yesterday. That was, there's my yeah, happy birthday. I was going to remember I'm saying that now. and then I forgot. I was going to remember yeah. saying that and then I forgot. God damn it, Rick. No, I think that's my big announcement for today. I'll stick with that one. <laughs> You're still right. fat, though, Ed. So. Right. Um, I'm still fat. Yeah, I'm 45 and fat. Yeah. Um, does oh. You've just released a brand new course, Ed, on how to draw faces. I did. Yeah. Yeah. I really like it. I think it's a great course. I'm hoping people dig it like they like mm. the anatomy one and stuff. Um you know, I'm hoping that uh, what we can do is really add to the howtodrawcomics.net website, you know, that mm. people will look at it as like, hey, that's a, a great library of information, uh, whether it's free tutorials or actual paid courses. Mm. And, you know, the paid courses are a good price. You're not going to find, uh, you know, many cheaper places out there or anything like that okay. by, um, you know, myself, Clayton, mm. Robert Mazzullo. Right, there's a lot of good content on there and stuff, right? So, yeah, um, yeah, I'm just hoping that, you know, I try to look in the group and see where where do people get frustrated, right? Like, and and so a couple months back, everybody was like, oh, anatomy, anatomy, fix your anatomy, do your anatomy, and I was like, these people, they don't know how to respond because they don't know what do you mean, fix my anatomy, and so I made a unit on it, and the next thing I saw was faces, a lot of struggle with faces, how to you know, get the proportions right and stuff. Mm. And there's a lot of um, methods out there, the Riley method, Loomis and everything. And, and that's all good. And, um, you know, I'm, those guys are, you know, obviously big teaching icons and stuff for uh, drawing faces. But I thought, you know, I could make a unit and add a lot of substance to it that uh, mm. maybe some different approaches. I've got my own style, not only in drawing, but in teaching and stuff. And that, um, I truly believe that, uh, you know, different students require different approaches and stuff. So I'm hoping that mm. uh, that people dig it. Yeah. Yeah, big time, man. I, I think the coolest thing is that that separates your course on heads from uh, those other methods that are out there. Like Loomis method is the base method that I use when it comes to drawing heads. But it's very mm -hmm. complex. And unless you've... Like, even if you know it up by heart, it's still pretty hard to put into practice until you've got the rhythm of it. Yours, however, yeah. really simplistic, man. And that's mm -hmm. something that the anatomy course had in it was your ability to break things down in an easy-to-follow, step-by-step way that didn't have a lot of steps, actually. Like, it was just it was super simple, and that's what made it cool. 
um, for a subject which is arguably one of the most complicated when it comes to drawing comics. Um, Absolutely. But yeah, yeah. man, like I, I love what you said about how to draw comics.net because ultimately I, in those words exactly, that was my mission, was to make it the ultimate learning resource for com aspiring comic book artists, to create it into the, the biggest library of, of content that was out there. And you know what? Honestly, the the free content is is enough for many is going to be enough for many people, right? Like that's a oh, great yeah. that's yeah. a great place to begin. Like we've got a perspective series, all one hundred percent for free by uh, Joe Catapano. We've got my right. my proportions of the heroic figure on there, uh, using the mannequin mm. model for figure drawing that kind of stuff, and it's all it's it's top notch content in my opinion i know that i put my heart into it so it, it definitely wasn't um you know just put on there to to get people onto the site to buy the premium stuff the premium stuff is right. really there for people who want to take it to the next level you know they've they've kind of um they've looked through the free stuff and now they want to get deeper into it and you know honestly that's kind of when you're talking about a three four five hour course or even more, you just can't fit that yeah. into a free tutorial or, or a free video yeah, right. on the website. So, um, you know, and I think having that packaged uh, content there, you know, it's it's great because it's very convenient for me to just say, hey, I want to learn how to draw heads and I want everything that it takes to be able to do that. I'm going to get Ed's course and, and yeah. you know, it's that simple. Um, so, yeah, man, and, and to everybody you know, else sorry. out there listening... I want to bring up one yeah. thing about the the content on that on that site. We yeah. did a poll in the group uh, just this week. You know, how do you like to learn, right? How do you yeah. like to learn art and that kind of stuff? And it was really great to see the responses and stuff. And it was a wide variety of responses. A lot of people like to learn just on their own. A lot of people like to take courses, uh, and some people just like to read books. And so on the HowToDrawComics.net website. Uh, there are video courses and stuff, but there's also just like text-based tutorials and stuff like that. So if you're if, oh, yeah. if you're a student that really likes to just read your way through it and you know follow written instruction, there's that there too, right? So I, yeah. I think it's good to try to try to all these different approaches to different types of learners. I think is very important. Absolutely. I mean, heck, we've even got a podcast, so we're trying <laughs> to hit. A, too, we're trying yeah, to tick right? all the boxes, but we yeah, do hope. Yeah, pure audio, right? Totally. Wait, we've got a, we've got to, a, as they're doodling. We got a podcast. What? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Somewhere. Um, but yeah, you know, and and we do hope that that you guys get a lot of value out of it. Um, so make sure you check out the site on a regular basis. I'm doing my best to upload it regularly with new tutorials, videos, and uh, podcast episodes. And you know, Ed's doing a mighty fine job of beefing up the uh, premium course library on there at the moment so be sure to check it out and we hope that you get a ton of value out of it other than that cool. thanks so much for listening and sticking with us for this uh extended episode of the htdc podcast and to my trusty co-host thanks so much for being here and uh joining me for the episode he Ooh. meant me that he meant me you're welcome <laughs> i know i know <laughs> i uh, i mean both of you um all right <laughs> thanks so much everybody for listening until next time, keep on creating.